Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. everybody welcome back to the beer ladies podcast my name is tandy and today i am joined by katie and bean and we have got an enormous topic on the cards today we are talking lagers now this is part of our style series so we're talking about um, lagers as a style and for those in the know everybody everybody kind of knows this already but lagers are a family of styles they're not just one style so we're not just talking about you know your bud light or your asahi or any of just the one kind of um lager in the family we are talking about lagers as a whole family of styles um and so just so that you know it's going to probably be something more of a overview of the different sort of lager styles that you get and uh, we'll certainly do more episodes in depth on some of the styles if there is demand for it right so before we get into all of the things about lager and all of the the yeasts and the temperatures and all of that sort of good stuff let us just remind all of you at home there please to um do the same things you do every week engage with us on twitter on instagram on facebook if you're there um and uh, share this with a friend subscribe like you know do all the stuff we are at beer ladies pod pretty much everywhere beer ladies podcast where we're not beer ladies pod and Hello, exciting news, guys. We now have merch. Have you seen? I'm just, I think uh, showing, I'm just showing the camera my shirt. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm still waiting for mine to arrive. Mm. So, guys, in the, in the description below, there will be a link to our merch store. And um, basically, the way that it happens that you order one of our designs, you could put it on whatever you want, although there are some pre-selections. So if you want a like a baseball tee like I'm wearing, or if you want a hoodie, you get light hoodies and heavy hoodies and, you know, all the things in between, t-shirts, mugs, coasters, buttons, stickers, you can get anything. You can get our, our logo on whatever you want. Um, and feel free to you know, adapt, adapt the design to something that you want. I mean, you can even do a scatter cushion if you wanted. So there it is. The creative juices are all yours. So that is the one way that you can support the podcast is by buying some merch, which would be lovely, not just because it supports us, but also because we'd love to see you in it. And we'd love to see you tagged on Twitter and on Instagram with your, uh, with your merch. It's really, really cool. But the other way that you can support the podcast is by buying us a beer. Um, one of our uh, dear listeners bought us five beers recently. Her name is Claire. Thank you, Claire. And uh, the way to do that is to go to buy me a coffee forward slash beer ladies podcast, and you can go and donate us a pint. And it all goes towards, you know, fun funding our lovely podcast, which we really enjoy doing and making. So there it is. Okay, friends, um, getting into lagers. I, I hope that everybody has a lager today. Katie, let's start with you. What are you drinking? I have a lager. It is in the lager family, but I suppose people would not maybe consider it a lager. It's a Doppelbock. Ooh. It's from Hirschbrau, somewhere in Bavaria, I'm presuming, because, and I went into a rabbit hole after this completely, it has one of these um, protected geographical indicators on it. 
which Ooh. I think is really, really interesting. That so, yeah. is interesting. There you go. So, yeah, it is a protected geographical beer. Doppelbach. Very, and very It has cool. a nice bottle that you can reuse, I see. Yeah, it's a great home brewer's bottle, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I love them. There you go. Do, and do, this is the color. Like, um, oh, that color is lovely. For, it? Those, mm. for those not deep watching, caramel. it's a very sort of, yeah, deep amber red. Mm. It's beautiful looking. Lovely. Bean, yeah, what are you drinking like? today? Ooh. Well, uh, <laughs> here's a Hoppy Pilsner style lager, but it's got some hops. It's an India Pale Lager from 12 Acres. It's called Pallet Jack. Brilliant. So I think we're there. going to talk about that style because that's one of those, um, you know, it says, I, you know, India Pale Lager, um, but it's one of those styles that's kind of a bit of a, not a hybrid, but it kind of is. And it's, it's, it's still within the lager family. So, yeah, very nice, very nice. And myself, um, actually, I'm pleased that none of us picked you know, a sort of a typical macro lager for the podcast, although no judgment here, but I have picked an Oktoberfest. So that's another kind of lager. It's an amber lager. Um, and it is from Galway Bay Brewery and it's Fest Beer Oktoberfest Lager, which is, I think this is now towards the end of their production. This must be an old can, but I don't mind. I'm fine with that. And it's, um, it's a little, oh, can't really see on the camera. It's a little darker than what you might expect from a pale lager, but it's not as yeah. dark as, as an amber. You know, sometimes Vienna lagers and stuff are a little bit darker than this. But anyway, as it is, slancha, everybody. Cheers. Slancha? Yeah. And I hope everybody listening or watching is having a lager of their own. You're very and, good health. It's five o'clock somewhere. Especially Claire, who, who has bought us coffees. Bought us some pints. Absolutely. There we go. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so ladies and everybody listening at home, um, lager is a very big topic. And as, as I sort of mentioned earlier, I think we're going to do, you know, it, this is like, this is the 101 of the styles of lagers, because there are loads of lager styles. And Katie, we're going to get into them, aren't we? But I wanted to start off by distinguishing what actually makes a lager as opposed to an ale and how you might know which one is which. And sometimes it's really difficult. And sometimes it's not obvious in the name either, just like your Doppelbock. So the big, the big taxonomy and the big sort of family tree of beers is split mostly into two. So there are ales and there are lagers. Now, increasingly, as we're going forward, there is a third that's becoming its own thing. And that is your mixed fermentation or wild yeasts beers. But the key is in the yeast. So when we're talking about ales and lagers, we're talking about different families of yeasts. Now, an ale is not brewed with only one kind of yeast, and a lager is not brewed with only one kind of yeast, but they are different kinds of yeast, and they themselves are families of yeasts. So the key information here is that ales are top fermenting yeast, which means that during fermentation or active fermentation, the yeast sits on top of the beer, and it eats all sugars, and then eventually it drops down. So it drops down because it's finished with its job. Whereas with lager yeasts, the yeast sits at the bottom, and it eats its way, you know, up, but it still stays at the bottom. So it attenuates back down to the bottom as well. So if you're looking at an active fermentation of a lager versus an ale, you'll see on a lager, everything is kind of happening in the bottom and nothing really at the top. And in an ale, there'll be this big krausen, this big head at the top of the fermenting beer, which shows this activity of the yeast at the top. The other key difference now between the yeasts is that ales are fermented at warmer temperatures. So typically between 18 and 22 degrees Celsius. Um, but guys, there are so many different kinds of yeasts. And, you know, kvike yeast, for instance, are ale yeasts, but they ferment way higher. So they're like... 36 degrees and um, whereas lager yeasts the ones that we'll focus on like it much colder so we're talking anything between 8 and 12 degrees typically but sometimes even colder um, and and there is a bit of a range but the the thing to know is they like colder temperatures and they take longer to ferment so lager the word comes from a german word i believe and it means to store um old german and um it it alludes to the fact that lagers, um, they not only take longer to ferment, 
But one of the primary characteristics of lager or brewing a lager is that you condition it for a really long time well, compared to an ale. Ales can be ready in two to three weeks, you know, from, you know, brew to tap or brew to bottle. And um, lagers tend to take, you know, four weeks at least to ferment, and then they'll be conditioned or stored at cold temperatures for another two, three months, sometimes much longer. So as a commercial brewer, if you're brewing lagers, your turnaround time for a lager is much longer than it is for any kind of ale, which is why you'll often see with brewers that they'll have maybe one or two lagers, but they'll have lots of ales because the quick turnaround time makes commercial sense. Yeah, and I'm d- um, wondering, is that definitely why we don't see that many lagers in craft brewers? Because mm. they might have limited space. They don't want their tanks held up all the time with their lager. Yep. Yep. That's, that is definitely one of the reasons. The other reason is that because of the temperature control that you need for a lager, um, it requires kind of different systems, not completely different, but it requires a bit of a different setup and you need storage and you need, you know, this kind of cold temperatures. Whereas if you did seven kinds of ale, you could just reuse all of your equipment and your fermenters and everything just on an ongoing basis. So that, that is definitely why. The other reason, by the way, is that lagers, because, you know, the the other thing that makes a lager a lager and the other thing, well, the thing that the yeast brings to the party is that it actually lets the other ingredients shine. It's called a clean yeast and it does not bring its own flavors to the party. So ale yeasts do. Ale yeasts bring things like esters, which are fruity notes, whether it's pear or whether it's berry or whatever, you know, whatever the kind of esters that we've got, or banana in the case of a vice. And they also bring things like phenols, so pepper notes or spicy things or bubblegum, again, in the case of a vice. So ale yeasts bring flavors to the beer, lager yeast don't. They let the grains and the hops completely shine, um, which is why they're called um, clean. But what it also means, and this is really important for craft brewers, but it means that there is no way to hide bad beer <laughs> in a lager. No. So most most of the time you won't see um, lagers from new craft brewers because it it's an art um, and it takes a long time to kind of master. You know, you obviously need equipment, but you need a, a really good amount of brewing knowledge to brew lagers very, very well. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of the reason. And I'm wondering if 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 you brew a lager and it turns out to be a little bit dodgy, do you just dry hop it and call it a <laughs> cold IPA? Am I being controversial? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, my because no one was going to buy a warm lager. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we brewed it a little warm. And it's a cold <laughs> IPA now. <laughs> oh my goodness! The, I, you know what? It's so funny because, um. I know that this probably happened accidentally as opposed to uh, deliberately, but my suspicion has always been that barrel aged and wild fermented beers with Brett have always just been one of those, you know, failed experiments that we'll put away for a year and then we'll see what it tastes like after a year. And then, by, you know, by then the sourness is a refined taste, not a not an all flavor. <laughs> but it, yeah, I, I think that there's lots of things that people can do with failed batches, but please don't serve bad lagers. Oh. No. Just don't, just don't. So, I mean, really the differences are, you know, temperature, the flavors that yeast, uh, that the yeasts bring to the party. And, you know, often we talk about lagers being elegant or noble. And that's because they let the hops and the grain shine. Um, And when we're talking about noble or elegant, we're talking about the fact that these are old world, well, specific to certain styles, but these are old world hops coming through, things like SARS, um, that are noble old world hops, and they're very uh, distinctive for their spicy floral herbal notes and all of that. But it's it's wonderful, guys. Don't don't you love a lager? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Not historically. (laughs) No. No, Not historically. Go on. I, I tell you what, I, I, if I get something that's like a real light lager, clean, crisp, you know, kind of floral, gentle bitterness, like I swirl that in the glass, inhale, and that's my dad putting on his canvas sneakers and going and tidying the garage, you know, mowing the lawn, 
and like ah, Saturday afternoon, all's right with the world. And you know what? There's so much more exciting things in my life. So yeah, my my uh, world of bloggers is only starting to really open up because I always thought it was like, um, you know, pale lager. That was lager mm. and not much more in the glass than that. So yeah, blow and my I mind. Think a, lot of, a lot of people think <laughs> it's accepted. like their macro taps are predominantly lagers, you know? uh pil pilsners or whatever and yeah and i just think but when you start to taste like a real a nice a lovely helles or a vienna lager or something like that you go oh this is so much nicer why mm. am i why haven't i been drinking this why have i got all this other stuff that is palatable mm. but not you know as nice totally and, and and you know i think i think the macro world really did us a very big disservice, um, you know, back in the day pre-craft in terms of the fact that people associate lager with only those kind of pale yellow fizzy things yeah. that are kind of one step up from water. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that those beers have their place and I completely admire the breweries that make beers like that because to make a beer that can hide nothing and to be consistently the same through sometimes hundreds of years is mind-bogglingly cool to me. Like that's incredible. That being said, it's not going to be everyone's taste and that's awesome. But Katie, I think you've hit the nail on the head because lagers are so much more than sort of pale American lager for lack of a better term. Um, yeah. I mean, tell us now about the kind of different varieties of lager because they're not just that. There are so many, like I literally have a whole, I don't know if you can see the scribbles <laughs> all over my page of, of notes of all the different types of lagers. So we're going to start pale lager mm. so that is a lager that is kind of golden in color pilsner let's start with a pilsner a pilsner is a pale lager a, Hellas, a dortmunder which i have never had before have you mm -hmm. has anyone had a dortmunder no i've only heard Not of it i know never had one it is another uh protected geographical beer mm -hmm. by the way there you go uh we also have would we call an ipl uh a pale lager Sure. Yeah. Technically. So pilsners, yep. pilsners are very much European, yeah. right? In in orange, yes. you have your Czech pilsners, your German pilsners, you have Bohemian pilsner, which is from a, a specific region, which also has its uh, geographical protection mm. indicator. I went down a whole rabbit hole. I've been <laughs> on to the EU, the EU database going, oh my God what beers are protected and there's no irish beers there's three uk beers and there's nine german nine czech or czechia and one lithuanian there you well go done. there we go i wanted to maybe just interject there because pilsner is one of those things that i think people also sometimes think are distinct from lagers now all pilsners are lagers but not all lagers are pilsners. So lager being the family of a lot of different beers means that there's a lot of like cousins and brothers and aunties and uncles in terms of the beer family. But pilsner is only one of them. And actually like according to the BJCP um, and according to Pilsen, <laughs> it's, it's almost only pilsner or quill. That is, it's like the original pilsner. Um, and a lot of other pilsners are not actually called that. They're often called um, pale Czech lagers. You know, so they're they're almost anonymized in respect, <laughs> you know, to, to be a bit more <laughs> respectful to the fact that Pilsner Quill was so very formative. Um, yeah, go on there. And another Pilsner that I forgot is your Imperial Pilsner. Mm, there's because, an Imperial you know, Pilsner? There's an Imperial Pilsner, yeah. This is the oh, first time I'm hearing of this. There you go, Bean. Come on, we're moving. <laughs> there we we're go. moving. Not, I'm to the it, lager it, side of the world. Yeah, it is not brewed high up in the Rockies. Let me just say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it is. I don't know if there's a craft. Maybe there's high some up in the smokiness. There's a what? Some. Mm, it's not that smoky. So mm -mm. we'll come to a smoky okay. lager. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, it's 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 stronger. So it's still uh, the Pilsner style. It's still quite um, quite light colored. Uh, nice it's crisp it's just stronger mm. basically yeah 
Am I right there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so basically, just basically, a little more color, a little more aroma, yeah. a little more, just a little more, a little more alcohol. <laughs> so basically, yeah. when you when you see imperial in a beer solid, just generally means stronger, so stronger alcohol. So it'll be, you know, as opposed to like four to six percent, it'll be eight or nine percent. Exactly. So more malt, more hops. You know, less like the balance will be a little different because it won't be you know as sessionable as you know a normal pilsner will be but yep and that and that i mean that's the same kind of as your you know your ipl over there it's effectively an ipa just using lager yeast instead of ale yeast but yeah it gives it more and one thing about the pilsner and we covered this in our water episode is that the water profile Mm. is very very important Mm. as well for pilsner all soft water generally usually is that just so, better mm, so so pilsen was was famous for its soft water and the pilsner style because it was born there um has generally been brewed with softer water um and and for those who haven't listened to our water episode please go back and listen to that because it really mm. it does give a really good overview for how water affects beer but um because it is softer it it's got this rounded almost pillowy effect to a pilsner that you don't sometimes get from a lager sometimes lagers and that's not just the water it's also the brewing practice and various things but sometimes lagers can be almost quite um i don't want to say bitey because that's going to be the wrong word considering especially pilsner quail uses a lot of sars hops and sars is known to be quite spicy and it can be and it's quite a hoppy and bitter like Pilsner, so I don't want to say that word, but it's got a different profile. Is astringent any good here, or maybe maybe something slightly slightly different? More for the lager, less for the pilsner. Exactly. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, water episode was fabulous. I may be biased, but I recommend. (laughs) Oh my god! And Bean recommends. If you have any more questions, Chelsea has said she will come back and do a water. Two hundred two, one hundred two. I don't know how the I don't know how the numbers go anyway yeah yeah <laughs> so on to a dortmunder uh, yeah. go for it dortmunder is a golden lager and i had to you spoke about attenuation earlier on mm-hmm. and uh it is deliberately not fully attenuated mm. ah it is a type so it's a light in color it's middle of the road when it comes to strength it is deliberately not fully attenuated so it's it's slightly it, there's still a lot of sugar in it mm. and it's hazy and uh, it was brewed in Dortmund many, many. I'm not into the history and I can't remember dates and I never wrote it down. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> that, but that's actually really interesting because the other, um, th- there is a really big difference between, for instance, Czech Pilsners and German Pilsners. Yeah. Now, on the one hand, you know, Pilsners were pioneered in, 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 in Pilsen, so in the Czech Republic. Um, and the reason that, that part of the world or the reason that that style came out was so interesting and i think that we actually need a whole episode just on pilsners and lager history there's going to be you know a lot that we're going to just glaze over here but what was really interesting about the way that pilsners came about was that it was a it was like a marriage between a lot of different practices around you know europe and around the world at the time so on the one hand people were going mad and crazy like for Bavarian and German lagers. So people were loving these bottom fermented, clean tasting beers, right? Cool. But so, so those yeast strains started to make their way into, into the Czech Republic. Um, and there's some disputed history about how that happened. Uh, mostly people now agree that it was just bought, <laughs> you know, simple as that. And, um, but the other thing that happened at the time was that kilning processes, so the way that we malt grains and the way that we uh, roast our grains to kiln them and to, and to malt them, uh, at the time, there were two different ways. There was direct heat and indirect heat. Direct heat would inevitably make the malt darker and more roasty, whereas indirect was making it golden, keeping a pale um, and not giving it as much roast. Now, that was happening a lot in the UK. So pale ales, bitters, these kinds of beers were really big in the UK. Now we're talking anywhere now between 1200s and and 1800s at this point. So a very big time period. But what happened to make a Pilsner was that um, they borrowed the indirect kilning process from the UK. They 
effectively bought the lager yeasts from Germany and Bavaria, and they started making these beers, which were a pale lager, which I'm sure Blew everyone's gonna, mind. <laughs> I know. I'm sure someone's going to at me and, and say to me, that is not the first pale lager. But as far as I know, as of today, <laughs> most of the lagers in Germany at the time were actually quite dark. They weren't, they were more like Dunkels, which is a dark lager, not pale yeah. lagers, as we know. So add the, the fact that uh, Pilsen's water was really soft to the mix. And we've got this like really unique style that was born, which was a Pilsner. My mind was blown, and I don't even know if it's all true yet. But there we go. That was my rabbit hole. I'm sure someone will at us and tell us it's all. Mm. You're all and, wrong. And and there is there there is a lot to be said about the history of lagers and how it played in the landscape of of brewing, especially in Europe, um, but but going into other places. And I think that we'll do another episode on this. But just to say that Pilsner was a pioneering style because it was a pale clear lager with this exceptionally like different taste and it was clear and it was and it was lovely and it was cold conditioned so similar to Bavarian lagers but not the same there we go Pilsner was born Pilsner was born there we go Mm. I'm gonna move on to amber yeah so it's, it's, it's basically, you're going down a color chart and then mm. you come to the weird stuff at the end. Amber, so Merzen, Vienna mm. Lager, Rauchbier, here's your smoky beer. Yay. So Bamberg is where the original Rauchbier, I think, comes from or what, mm. what has been. It's not listed, by the way, on the EU uh, database no. of uh, protected geographical oh. places. So I can just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. get a lot of lovely smoky slightly caramelly looking thing and pretend exactly and a rough beer is it's basically the malt is smoked that's it before Mm. it's used in the brew would that be right brewer brewer tandy yeah it is so so you'd use a portion of your grist a portion of your grain bowl will be a smoked barley or a smoked wheat or a smoked something so it'll impart that smoky flavor and it's kind of like a bit of a marmite thing you know people either love it or hate it um yeah i'm not a lover i must say but I i'm not either by bean's face that she is i mean i i don't think i've had overly 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 uh, smoke things but a little a little bit i probably goes a long way and it's kind of fun. yeah yeah now there, there is not a lager but there is a beer and hist- historical polish beer called now I'm going to butcher the name and I know actually how to pronounce it, but I read it as Grozitsky, but it's not pronounced oh, yeah, that way. Yeah. But it's actually, a, it's, it's a wheat beer that's got a portion of smoked like malt in it. And that sounded really interesting to me because it's got a bit of a sourness to it. Um, anyway, tangent, but that that's not a longer, but that sounds Next really time delicious. I go into my Polsky Sklep, I'm going to have to see if they have one. And you know? if you find mm-hmm. any, let me know, please. Oh, I will, I will, I will. Mm. I'll let you all know. Um, Vienna lagers then so they became very popular in Vienna hence the name but uh, so they have a thing called a three-step decoction right so Tandy brewer Tandy explain what a what decoction decocting is when you're brewing a lager yeah okay so decoction is a common brewing practice when we're talking about especially pilsners um, and in a lot of lager styles but not all so let me um, preface this by saying that there are, as far as I know, there's probably many more, but there are two different kinds of ways that you might mash your grains in and, and effectively start the brewing process. The first one is called an infusion mash, which is literally take your grains, put them in water, temperature, and that's it. Now, sometimes you can step mash that. So you can start it at a lower temperature, raise the temperature, then raise the temperature. And you might do that for certain styles to pick up different proteins that only come out at certain temperatures. But those are all infusion mashes. Now, a decoction mash is different because you add the grains in as you would an infusion mash, but you take some of it out. So once it's all you know married, making, making wort or making beer tea, um, you take some of it out you boil it separately. Now, what you're doing when you're boiling it is you're reducing it and you're making it more malty, more caramelly. 
Um, but you're not doing that to the whole of the grain bill. So you're only doing it to a portion and then you add it back in. So it adds in, let's say, a portion mm. of extra caramelly multi flavors without um, completely changing the ABV and the, 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 the efficiency and all the other measurements that you take while you're mashing your beer in. And what that adds, and this is especially popular with Pilsners, um, and it's, it's, it's a characteristic of Pilsners, is that it's really multi without being sweet, which I know doesn't always make sense, but that's kind of the way it is. There is a bit of residual sweetness, but that's not because of decoction. That's because of the lower attenuation, which uh, Katie alluded to earlier. So, yeah. And for and those who, so don't, who don't know what attenuation is, so basically... If you fully attenuate your beer, it means that you've fully fermented all of the sugars. So the, the exactly. yeast has converted all of the sugar into alcohol. And when you do that, it's called a dry beer. Yeah. And exactly. when you when you don't fully attenuate, I don't know what it's called, you've but left. it's not dry. <laughs> it's an <laughs> extra it's sugary sweet. beer for that. Oh, it's sweet. Yeast. Is it called it, just sweet. sweet beer? Yeah, it's okay. sweet. So so there's there's a whole scale of it. So so things like um a stout, for instance, would have quite a lot of unattenuated sugars in it. And the way that you can control the attenuation or the potential attenuation is by the temperature of your mash. So if you mash at a lower temperature, which is often done in things like saisons, which are extra dry, and you, what you're doing is you're making sure that all of the, the grains and all of the sugars extracted are effectively becoming simple sugars, which are easy for the yeast to digest. If you have a higher temperature, let's say 67, 68, 69 degrees Celsius or above, what you're doing is you're extracting some sugars, but you're leaving a lot of them as unfermentable, which will add like a baseline sweetness to your beer. So sometimes things like stouts um, will have a sweetness to them, um, and that'll be due to the lack of you know, full attenuation. Um, and different yeasts are also... Uh, they attenuate differently. So English yeast, for instance, are quite well attenuated or they attenuate quite well. Um, but things like Saison yeasts are known to attenuate fully. And lager yeast, German Pilsner and German lagers are almost fully attenuated. So there should be almost no residual sweetness. But yeah. And so you could stop that fermentation process by like racking off your beer before it's had a chance to fully like bottom ferment or spinning out all the other all, all the lees and everybody well, in the centrifuge you'd, or you'd almost you'd control it before it even touches the yeast so what you're doing is you're controlling the ratio of um fermentable to unfermentable sugars that the yeast is going to have to feed on uh -huh. so so if you give it let's say 80 percent fermentable and 20 percent unfermentable it would be a, quite a sweet beer, but it, it'll it'll make, let's say, the alcohol from all the fermentables, it'll eat up all the fermentables, but it can't get to those complex sugars. So it's going to add that sort of sweetness. So if you think of, um, I mean, milk starts are not quite the same because you're normally adding lactose, but lactose is unfermentable. So it's kind of like adding in an unfermentable as opposed to just temperature controlling it. But it just means that you're having... Um, you're, you're adding some kind of sweetness. But with lagers, you're generally trying to remove a lot of it. But some of the differences between the styles, whether dark, amber, or light, yeah. are based on attenuation. So how dry versus sweet are they? Yeah. Fascinating. I love it. It's so cool. It is fascinating, isn't mm. it? Mm. And then, yeah, so all, most of the amber beers that I've been looking at are mid-strength. They're not... They're not overly, they're not going to knock your socks off, but they're, they're grand. They're like up to six and a half percent, yeah. maybe. The Vienna and, and the Rauch Those beer. are, yeah. to me, a, a really nice nightcap, actually. Mm. Like that's, I sort of think of them as an evening by the fire sort of style. Well, we can move on to the next style, which is an evening by the fire beer, which is the Bach. Mm. So the Ooh. Bach, it's a dark, malty, so I'm drinking a Doppelbach. I've nearly drank a Doppelbach <laughs> at this stage. But yeah, it really is a winter warmer and it would have been more mm. brewed for the for the for the winters, you mm. know, the European winters. Ugh. Yeah. The Bach style originated in the 14th century in a town called Einbeck. There you go. Mm. Who knew? 
not me. I knew because I wrote it down and didn't forget the date. So well done, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> and there are there were you can have all different styles of box. So the, the regular box is about five to six percent. You know, it's middle of the road. Then you get your doppelbock. Your doppelbock goes up to maybe seven, eight percent. You have a Weissenbach, which has mm. an addition of wheat. Um, you also have this thing called the Icebach. Have you heard of yeah. the Icebach? Oh my God, yep. it's crazy, crazy yep. stuff. And it actually, so Einbeck discovered the Bach, but the Eisenbach is native to Bavaria. So there you go. What they do, and I don't know how they do that, but they 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 freeze the is this I'm presuming this is after they've mashed it and stuff like that. They mm -hmm. freeze it to remove the water. And that um, makes it stronger. Well, exactly. it sure does. Exactly. So imagine you've got this beer and it's fermented or fermenting, let's say. And when you're fermenting, you already lose a little bit of volume because of the activity. Um, now what they do is once it's fermented, instead of leaving it as, let's say, a 6% beer or a 7% beer, you freeze it. And what happens is that because of the different weights of the things that make up beer, the water can be almost separated. So you're almost scraping this water off as ice. So this like Eisenbach, like all the water comes out and what you're left with is a much more concentrated beer. Now, completely honestly, I don't know why you wouldn't just brew it stronger as opposed to trying to shave it off and, and, um, and concentrate it that way. But there must be a reason and maybe it's historical. I'm not 100% sure myself. I reckon it could have happened by accident. Maybe they were lagering their lagering their beer. They noticed a bit of ice. They're like, oh, we'll better take this off, you know? And then the beer turned out to be really strong. That's entirely possible. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes you can like make like <laughs> quick, quick banana bread tip. If you freeze your bananas before you <laughs> make banana bread, I think it's nicer. Just the sugars. I don't know. And ice wine is also very sweet. Like maybe there's something happening to the, to the sugar. That is well. also a German maybe. thing too, is ice wine. I love yeah. ice wine. It's so good. So sweet. There you go. Love it. And uh, trivia job. question. There has been an ice box brewed that was 57.8% ABV. Is that and even I, a beer anymore? No, I that just think I'm not going to say who brewed it because they're the assholes up in Scotland. But I reckon <laughs> there was such a dick measuring competition. I can brew mm. a stronger beer than you can. It's like not really caring if it was palatable and enjoyable and nice and all the things that yeah. I like in a beer, you know. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> it's kind of spirits at that stage. It's not. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Or something. It's more than spirits. It's very like the, the, intense. Yeah. Mm. I can't imagine what they would have tasted like, but hey, good for people who try these things because, you know, what, how else do we get new stuff? Exactly. And then, oh, I missed some from Apple. <laughs> There's so many. There, are there so are so many more many. lagers than I thought. I but, thought there was one this pale is the whole lager. thing is that like, it's so, it's such a wide landscape yeah. and people don't even know. It's so cool. And it, well, I suppose it, many, it's, many bottom fermentable things. Yeah, Keller beer. I miss Keller oh, beer from yeah. my list, you know, which bottom. I really want to try, actually. Mm. Or it's Fickle beer, and what the one it stands out. So it's quite malty. It can be amberish in color. It's unfiltered and mm. unpasteurized, according at the time. I'm sure. I don't know. Is beer pasteurized? Probably many are. For sale, a lot of, a lot of them a are, lot of, have to be. Yeah, be. a lot of them are. The, you know, like the big ones who travel overseas and stuff, they're normally yeah. pasteurized. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. We'll move on to the dark beers. Mm. Dark lagers, my favorite. Dunkel mm. would be my favorite. And I do love a Schwartz beer as well. So a Schwartz beer is just a black. Team, so it's team just, dark lager here. Yeah. If, if, just... if Lisa is team dark mild, I'm team dark lager. That is my jet. I remember gonna... that we had this other episode and I think it might've been Tandy, you had suggested a, a dark lager. So we tried them all. Oh, it was October time of beers. Oh. 
And I remember that's that, like, I think that was one of my first uncles. I was like, that, that is, is that was really good. And it's a lot. Mm. What's it's going so on? It's so good. That was so that really early cool. on in season one, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was a long time ago now. And it's just the, the it's the barley, right? It's, mm. That's what gives I it. I mean, you know, you know, the difference now between all of these different kinds of lagers. So um, you, we can distinguish on color because when you're adding color, it's generally because you're adding different kinds of grains. So if you're going into, let's say, amber territory, you're adding some caramel malts or some Viennas or, you know, biscuit style, like, like sort of mid, mid color, mid sweetness sort of level malts. And they're going to add color and sweetness and body and things to your beer. Then when you go into the darker lager stages, you're adding things like chocolate malts or black malts or um like there's a lot of different things now they're obviously done in small quantities because you don't want it to be super overpowering but what makes these beers really interesting is that they've got this like roasty chocolatey thing with it but then they've got the the clean yeasty bready finish so instead of it being a instead of it being let's say black ipa territory where you've got a balance and a almost a competition between hops which can be citrusy or fruity or floral with things that are roasty and chocolatey and caramelly in in a dark lager you've got almost mostly a chocolate or a roast or a something but the hops are much more muted and they're there. The bitterness is there, but not the hoppiness. So you're not going to get an orange in there or a tangerine. You're going to just get a little bit of a, of a, of a like a baseline sort of, sort of bitterness, which balances the sweetness, but not in an, like a competitive way. I think they are magnificent. They're probably my favorite style of beers ever. Here, here, here. Preach. Dunkels and Schwartz beers. I mm. really like them. I really, mm. and I, and I, yeah definitely and our next category will be adjuncts so most of the like macro lagers in the u.s have some kind of adjunct added that's just something Mm -hmm. else you add into beer like rice coriander rice or corn oh (laughs) (laughs) there you go that's it yeah and it's 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 quite, it, it doesn't have, I suppose, a lot of the flavor that we'll say the, all of the German ones that we've, a lot, all, most of the ones are European that we've been talking about so far. They don't have the same flavor profile. It's a lot crisper. It's a lot, um, mm. you know what I mean? Now, we, we have an episode coming up on adjuncts, so I don't want to take too much away from that. But what I will say is that if we're talking about old world lagers and new world lagers and by the old world we almost generally talking about europe and new world we're almost generally talking about the americas plus maybe australia new zealand south africa you know the you know colonial colonial settlements in a sense but now what what generally has happened over the the course of history (laughs) is that based on price based on a number of different things adjuncts have been added especially to lagers but lagers are like 94 percent of the consumed beer in the world so adjuncts have been added to beers because barley is more expensive than things like corn or rice but corn or rice also add things to beer that are sometimes desirable so for instance they don't add a lot of sweetness but they can thin out the body they can make it drier they can make it easier to drink six of them instead of only drinking one or two so there are reasons that people will add adjuncts and it's not just economical or commercial um, it's, it's it's part of that but you'll see um, a lot of adjuncts added to macro sort of big big boys will add a lot of macro um, uh, a lot of adjuncts uh, but they do they add to it and <coughs> interestingly now um, so Katie, when we're talking about the different kinds of lagers, there's a few hybrids or, or stragglers, you know, stragglers. And one of them, which we actually spoke about a couple of weeks back on our um, Ask Us Anything, our FAQ episode was cold IPAs. Now, okay, cold IPAs, this is a hot topic, hot topic for a cold IPA. Uh. But um, the thing that is supposed to make the cold IPA a bit different is that it uses, instead of an ale yeast, which an IPA would typically use, 
it uses a lager yeast, but it ferments warmer. But the other thing that makes a difference is that it's allowed or at least recommended to use some adjuncts in the, the grain bill. And that is actually quite different from an IPA, let's say, because IPA is generally barley, maybe a bit of oats, maybe a bit of wheat, but it's generally barley focused as opposed to corn or rice or, yeah, let's just call it those for now. Um, and that can thin the body and it can do other things. So it can dry it out. It can, it can do some stuff. So maybe it is a bit of a separate beer style. I'm still not convinced. We'll see. But, and it's yeah. yeah, it's very popular in um in the east. So like in Japan and and mm. China and and yeah in Asia. So like your Asahi, your Kirin, your Sapporo yeah. are all brewed that way. Yeah, exactly. And those are I mean those are great beers. I love Asahi. It's oh, I love it, and and I think it is the dryness of it. I think it's lovely, um, but it's not it's not a hundred percent rice. So. You know, exactly. It's an adjunct. The, and then the other, I found another oh, sorry, style. Sorry, you, you go on. You go on. Oh no, are you still going to talk about that type? Because I'm moving on go to for it. my next adjunct. Is a malt liquor which I had never heard of before. Hmm. And it's basically a lager where you add dextrose, and so the dextrose remains unattenuated. It's not fully mm. attenuated, and it's quite sweet. It's quite, and it's up to ten percent very very malty i've never had one i just found it in the thing and i was like oh that's really interesting i i don't know what that is there we go i feel, I feel like the belgians would like to have a word with that malt liquor and say it's beer like <laughs> stop calling it a liquor <laughs> why would they call it know. a malt liquor exactly and yeah. anything is is liquor you can have you know a, liquor is just something that you get out of things in this sense i think you know. yeah not necessarily then, alcohol or ethanol yeah. based. It's and just... then, yeah, Mexican lagers as well. Would they actually mm -hmm. they'd be in the same family there with all the uh, with the light the lagers? Maybe they would. Yeah, be. but you have some like um, a Dos Equis would be along the lines of a Martin, maybe. I think so. It's it's quite amber in color. Mm. There you go. To know it, I don't know. Oh, I lived in Arizona. There we go. There we Nostal go. Sackies, please. <laughs> I've never heard of it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. It's a Mexican. It's a Mexican lager. But yeah, the That's Mexican cool. lagers are pretty. They're pretty good at their lagers. I must say, the Mexicans. Are. We That's don't awesome. always have Mexican lagers, but when we do, we like them. <laughs> I I like a Mexican lager too. Actually, I'm okay. not even ashamed. Like I think they're great. Yeah. Um, yeah. California um, common, where does that go? Right, huh? that's what I was going to come to. Is that there are a couple of hybrids in the uh, in the lager family, and so this happens in the ale family too, guys. So something like an alt beer, which almost tastes like a lager, is actually an ale that's just cold conditioned, um, and it's conditioned for a long time like a lager. But then you get something like a California common, which was Historically, it was a beer that was created out in the hot climate of California, um, but it used um, lager yeasts at warm temperatures. So instead of the lager yeast being used at cold temperatures, which would give it the clean profile that it did, they pushed it and they said, well, our temperatures can't match that. We don't have temperature control at the time. So they, they, they effectively made a whole new beer style based on the temperature control of this yeast. Now, I think it's really interesting because it's such a specific beer style that it's, if you're ever trying to brew a California common, like you, you will not get points at a competition if you have not used the specific California common yeast and the specific um, hops that are used for a California common, because they're just very distinctive. There's a sort of mintiness to them and it's delicious beer style absolutely wonderful but again it was just one of those sort of styles where uh, people made do with what they had and then it became a thing right kind of similar now to this cold ipa malarkey yeah. that's happening and that people are using lager yeasts but at warmer temperatures no yes yeah that's it Lagies at warmer temperatures. warmer temperatures they haven't yeah. said they haven't said how warm or what the threshold is but 
I think the idea is to try and leverage the, the lager yeast's cleanness so that the hops shine, especially in an IPA, instead of getting the yeast-derived esters and phenols and other things that come from the yeast, so it makes the hops shine more and gives us a clean finish. Now, of course, what we were saying now a couple of weeks ago was it doesn't seem that different to an IPL, which is an IPA grain bull and hop bull, but with a lager yeast at lager temperatures. So I think that some people will have a bit of a an issue because there's late hopping and dry hopping and temperatures and all these things. We don't need to get into it. But there are these hybrids of, you know, beers that like yeasts have been used in interesting different ways. So it might be a lager yeast, but fermented higher, or it might be an ale yeast fermented lower. And so it might have muted or different flavors from those yeasts, depending on what you're doing. Which is there are so go. many of these things to try now. I know, oh I goodness. can't wait. I want to, mm. I'm going to have to try and convince the kids to go to Germany this summer for their holidays. I mean, I'm going to have to try and convince you to take me in your suitcase. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, with, with all the different styles of lagers, right, I, I don't want to go too deep into it, but there was um, there was something that we talked about earlier about Pilsners and how Pilsners emerged. And that was, uh, that was a really big turning point in sort of beer history because Pilsner was quite a big, a big thing. And then we've had, you know, we spoke about it in our industrialization episode a few, a few back, but there were a number of scientific discoveries that came from the industrialization of beer. So the fact that lagers have become the sort of mainstream beer is not really an accident. It's somewhat deliberate. And it's weird to me that it's deliberate because um, it's a much more difficult style to brew. It's much more difficult to get right. And it's potentially a lot more difficult to sort of store and travel with. Well, that's that's the debatable point. But it's interesting to me that it became the thing that we all know as beer. You know, if you think of a beer, you're thinking of a pale yellow fizzy thing, which is just a light lager. Um, yeah. I don't know. Is there any is there exactly. any zeitgeisty things that and it's just such a tiny little segment of the of mm. the big beer pie, you know? Isn't it just mm. Yeah. yeah, no, so I mean, you, you know, there, there's there's lots of cool stuff. And I think that what we're going to do is we are going to do a specific episode on the history of um, lager and lager yeast, especially with relation to cold fermentation, because hint, hint, there was a thing that was discovered now a while back. I don't know how long back, but recently, let's call it the last couple of years. An archaeologist effectively discovered that the parent of lager yeast. So lager yeast was a hybridization of two different yeasts. One of the parents has been identified for years and that was squarely in Europe. It was in Bavaria, very happy there. The other parent of this hybrid yeast that became what we now know as lager yeast that likes cold temperatures had not been identified for a very long time. But very recently, uh, Christina put me onto this article, a few articles. Um, it was discovered by an archaeologist down in Patagonia in Chile, of all places, that the DNA of, of, of yeast found there in brewing vessels matches something like 99.9% of the supposed missing parent of our lager yeast. So what we think is that, you know, what we have always thought is that lagers come from Bavaria, they come from Germany and the low countries and all, you know, all these places, but we'd never been able to put together the piece of the puzzle as to how those yeasts adapted to cold temperatures. Now, having found this specimen in Patagonia, there might be a missing, a missing link there. So we'll see, we'll do some digging. And for all of the sort of beer history nodes, um, I'm sure there'll be another one coming. But I wanted to touch on, if, if it's okay with you ladies, but I want to touch on just a bit of brewing. So if you were wanting to brew a lager, a couple of things to keep in mind, um, because clean lagers are hard. Yeah. <laughs> clean, 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 clean. Exactly. But I mean, gosh, that's even for ales. But but when, when you're brewing a lager, like, 
the first thing is to actually decide on what style you're going to do, which sounds like a really obviously stupid thing to say, but because there are so many different kinds of lagers, you know, you might want a dark lager or you might want a, a you know, an amber lager, like decide what you want, figure out the grain bill based on that. And um, sometimes people talk about certain grains giving certain off flavors. So I've heard, for instance, things like Vienna, the grain, not the not the beer, can sometimes give metallic notes. So depending, you know, if you're looking for things like a Vienna lager, try and make sure that your malts are as fresh as they can be, because you, again, cannot hide anything in a lager. So then, when we're talking about um, mashing in or brewing a lager, we've spoken a little bit about decoction. Um, most of the time now, malts have been... Um, genetically engineered over the years or bred differently over the years, that decoction mashes are not always necessary. But I think if you're trying to emulate something like a Pilsner or a Quill, it's probably best to do a decoction mash. So mash in as you would, take some of the mash and then, you know, reduce it, boil it down, put it back in to get that sort of rich malty flavor that uh, makes a, a Pilsner or a Quill quite what it is. Um, you can do that twice. So sometimes people do double decoctions, which is really interesting. Um, and, and effectively, and sometimes triple decoction, as Katie's pointing out. Exactly. So, so pe people can go, you know, all over the place with how to do a decoction. I think a lot of the agreed upon knowledge now is that you don't really need to do it to make a good lager. But if you want to be as accurate as possible or try and emulate a specific style, then yes, try and do that. And then, you know, the key uh, to any good lager is temperature control. So mm. um, because the yeast wants to be colder as opposed to warmer, you definitely need for it to ferment quite strictly between 8 and 12 degrees. Although check your yeast packets or make a very vigorous starter and make sure that your temperatures match with the, the directions. And then the, the, the sort of step that a lot of people miss, um, and this comes from judging in homebrew competitions, the step that people miss is a diastole rest. So when you're brewing a lager, because you're brewing cold, you, you tend to think that you want it to be cold all the way from the start of your fermentation to when you're kegging or bottling. But actually that's not true. You want it to ferment and get as attenuated as, as it can be in, in primary fermentation. And then you wanna raise that temperature. So you want to raise it to sort of 21 or 22 degrees for a couple of days. Now, what that does is it is called a diacetyl rest because diacetyl is an off flavor that is naturally produced by things like Pilsner malts and the malts that we use in making lagers. And it's a, it's a very natural thing. But at those higher temperatures, it, get, it gets reabsorbed into the beer. So it becomes a non-off flavor. It just disappears. How long would really you let it rest step. for? A couple of days, like okay. one to two days. You know, if you really wanted to push it two to three, two to four, whatever the case is, but just keep it at that temperature for a, for a couple more days. And I mean, you would never have known, you know, if, um, if, if all you knew that it was a cold thing. But the next step after that is to remove it off the yeast and condition it cold for a long time. So that can be in a keg or it can be in another fermenter, but get it off the yeast. And the thing about lagers is to store them. So store them at four degrees or six degrees, you know, cold temperatures for four to six weeks and keep testing and keep tasting. But what you don't want is things like acetaldehyde, which is this green apple, which comes from really fresh young lager beers and diacetyl, which comes from uh, not doing diacetyl rests or bottling too soon. And um, yeah, the do those rests, keep it for a long time, let it clear out, you know, because it's already going to be quite clear, but the longer you can store it before bottling or kegging it, the better it's going to be. And I think that's the thing about these lagers. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a game of patience. And I am, I'm, I'm just wondering who was left in charge of the Pilsner Brewery? that forgot to regulate the temperature and that's how they learned about the diacetyl rest you know there we go it's I like know, someone right? came home and was like oh my god mike what have you done 
this is way too warm and then they ended up tasting it going oh my god this is good what happened what did we do differently mm. oh Mike fell asleep there didn't he for a day or two <laughs> you know I just think it's fascinating now I don't know if this is related to diacetyl or not but there is there is some sort of urban legend and I'm not sure if it's true so I don't want to spread it too wide <laughs> but there there is some kind of um uh, legend that the reason that the SARS hop and so many like so much hops were used in that beer was to kind of hide some of the flavors that were created and I wonder if that was to hide a little bit of butterscotch possibly <laughs> you never know. possibly but, and I yeah. think I'm going to do a shout out to uh, a very good Irish lager and we've shouted mm. out to them oh. before is Con- Connemara and the amazing thing is that they use open fermenters right yeah unbelievable Yes, I know for lagers and you're like what and everybody anyway yeah. I know I know oh, Connemara we adore you and that lager is smashing so yeah yeah, yeah. respect really really good so Bean are you going to try all the different lagers now yeah but what's on your list oh well get out get out to Connemara <laughs> get get over to to Oregon to Heater Allen Tell us about oh. this. Oh, well, I mean, there's there's Connemara and, you know, Anya's been all over the world and been slinging hectoliters by the hectoliter, the Victoria Bitter and the Matilda Bay things and like uh, working around in wellies. And then and then over over on the other side, there's people who've who've managed to have one career and then go into you know a family business lagering things and oh i had a really good total 45 day pills that was great yeah i I do i love it at some stage oh and and also a hi mom to moosehead in canada still keeping (laughs) it real with their flagship um light lager but it was it, it was um I think the the first recipe they had was an October brown ale that they're like mammy brought over when when they all all the old ones came over from England. Like the um like when Canada got started. <laughs> and they're still like going, the movie so like the movie Beer Fest where she has her, her magic <laughs> recipe. Have you seen this yet, Tandy? You hadn't seen I, this last time. I was no. actually not gonna start naming breweries because oh. there are too many, but thank you for cleaning all the things, breweries and and mm. swabbing and testing and swabbing some more and cleaning some more and then sanitizing some more. I don't want to, but I do want to drink the beer. Yes, I think we all want to drink the beer. And you think of brewers as, you know, these crusties with their, sorry, not crusties, hipsters with their beards. And it's like, uh, but they have to clean everything or else it's going to taste like shite, you know? 99% of brewing is just cleaning. Yeah. So it's not, it's not nearly as glamorous as what we all think. <laughs> Get the stars yeah. on, you'd be grand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. No, you know, I, I think that we, we, we all go through this journey, you know, we, we, we generally start out with these kind of macro light lagers and then we move on to things that are diametrically opposite to it. It's like, oh, flavor bombs everywhere. And then you start to appreciate the, the simplicity and the elegance of a really well-brewed lager because it doesn't have to be full of everything for it to be amazing. And it doesn't mean that your, you know, light lager is the best beer in the world, but wow, an elegantly brewed like a well-brewed lager is just something to behold i'm constantly amazed yeah i love it like they're definitely a go-to especially if when you're on holiday in a country that has really good lagers tell you what everybody to prague everybody to prague that's it that's where we're going and and lagers for everyone and and you see, you can't start naming places because then <laughs> just you've left out places. We're going to have to do a beer ladies European road trip. Mm. But first, okay, so listen, everybody at home, can you please buy us some beers, and buy some merch? Because <laughs> <laughs> we need to fund a road trip. <laughs> Sounds good. And to thank you, country. everybody, for your support. It's been great. 
<laughs> it really has. But yeah, ladies, okay. I think I think that's that's about the end of our loggers. Lager 101, if if there was. Um, there's so much more to talk about with loggers, but you know, it will get there. And there's a lot to talk, especially about the history and how it all emerged and yeasts. And I mean, oh my goodness, yeast, you could just go on. Yeast 505 is gonna have to be about the split and the hybridization of lager yeast, because that is super fascinating. Um Right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. And Katie Bean, thank you for your knowledge and your fun enthusiasm. And Bean, I want to see you drinking more lagers. <laughs> It'll be fun. <laughs> all right, friends and fam, um, catch us on all the socials. We're Beer Ladies Pod and Beer Ladies Podcast everywhere that you can find us. We're on all the podcatchers. And we're even on YouTube if you wanted to watch us. So there it is. Buy us a beer, buy us a, buy a t-shirt, buy, buy something if you really want to. Um, either way, we love you. Thank you for tuning in every week. And we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 